Hey, this is Brett Kaloran. And this is Deshan Naidu. And you're listening to the Sound Architect Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Sound Architect Podcast. Today is a very special episode as I am joined by the sound design team for Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City, Deshen Naidu and Brett Killoran. Thank you for joining me today, guys. How are you? Good. Good. How are you? Very well, thank you. So full disclosure, I haven't told you this yet, but I am a lifelong super fan of the Resident Evil franchise. <laughs> so I am extremely excited to have you with me today, and I'm very much looking forward to talking about your work on Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. Yeah, great. Awesome. The hardest part is that I must contain my excitement for a moment while I ask you something else. <laughs> because before that, I would love to hear about your respective journeys into sound design. You both have a very impressive uh, backlog of projects, shall we say. And how did it all begin for you both? I'll start. Um, so for me, um, I grew up in in Yellowknife, of all places, uh, Yellowknife Northwest Territories, which is pretty far north in Canada, for those who don't know. Um, when I was in high school, there was this sort of dusty old video room, and it caught my attention. Um, it just, it struck a chord with me. So I ended up spending most of my, you know, last two years of high school just sitting in that room trying to figure everything out. And that sort of sparked the, okay, I think I want to do this for a living. I think it's something that resonates with me. So then I ended up going to um, Sheridan College in Oakville, Ontario. And at the time, uh, I think like most people, you don't really know what you want to do uh, <laughs> when you enter film school. And it, I, I would say 90% of the people who, who do go into film school, at least in my class, were looking to be directors. Um, and I'm sure I was, I was probably thinking the same thing. But then I took this... Um, you had to take this sort of range of courses from picture editing to sound editing to cinematography. And it was on the first day of my sound class that uh, they played this video. The professor had played this video of how sound was created for films. And it just lit the biggest bulb in my brain. And I just, you know, I couldn't walk away from that. So then I spent the next three years just focused on that. Um, and then I got lucky. Um, I, uh, I was placed with Sound Dogs Toronto, which is the company I work with now. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. So I, I've been working with them since the beginning of my career, all the, like from an intern all the way to a sound designer, which is, you know, 16 plus years later. Um, and so that's, that's the sort of cliff notes of my journey through this. Wow. That's awesome. And what about you, Brett? Um, for me, it's pretty traditional in some ways and not traditional in others. Uh, I started kind of as a musician. I went to school in London, Ontario to be with the goals of being a rock star. Um, nice. And then when that started to fail miserably, as it does for everybody, uh, I, I always gravitated in music. Uh, I started to record a lot and work at a lot of studios and I always gravitated towards mixing. And then um, through one session, I was working at a studio called Revolution in Toronto, it's one of the bigger studios, and they were doing a scoring session for a movie. And it was kind of my first peek behind the curtain at, you know, what is film sound? What is this? It's not something I ever thought was a career option for me. And I think I just kind of, I grew up in a small town in Ontario, and I thought movies were only made in Los Angeles. I didn't think there was like <laughs> industries outside of it for whatever reason. And uh, 
but uh yeah so i kind of that like piqued my interest and then i you know looked into post studios worked at a small post studio for a bit and just kind of you know through luck and uh, lots of hard work and kind of started doing my own little projects and getting some bigger ones and it's just kind of that's what led me here today it's been great and the rest is history as they say i guess so Okay, let's talk about Welcome to Raccoon City. Where do I start? So first of all, how did you both get involved with the project? For me, it was through Nelson Ferreira, who's the CEO sound supervisor at Soundox Toronto. Um, so he, pit- he, uh, he pitched uh, the project to me uh, with me working as a sound designer on it. But previous to that, Sound Dogs, I mean, Sam, you probably know this being a fan, Sound Dogs had done all of the previous uh, Resident Evil films prior to that with uh, Mila Jovovich. So I was going to ask about this because this isn't the first rodeo for you either for a Resident Evil movie, correct? No, uh, certainly <laughs> the first one as a sound designer uh, or a supervisor, but certainly not the first one. I, I think I assisted on one or two uh, or se- or second assisted on one or two of them. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely not new to the Sound Dogs world. Um, <laughs> and so uh, Constantine, being the studio behind it, um, reached out to Sound Dogs again to do this whole reboot of the series. And um, yeah, I just, I got very lucky to, to put my hands on it. And, and like I said, having been uh, uh, an assistant and a second assistant on a previous uh, Resident Evil and sort of seeing the progression in my career of other people working on them around our shop, it was kind of cool to to fill that seat on the reboot. Yeah, I can imagine. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, for me, I had got the other mixer on it, Andrew Tay. Uh, I had worked with him quite a bit kind of the last couple of years and we've kind of come be a little bit of a team in Toronto. And um the reason I got on Resident Evil is Andrew and I did uh, Constantine and Sony's previous big movie, Monster Hunter, which oh, was about nice. two, two years prior. So kind of the next time a kind of action-y movie came from Constantine and Sony, you know, we got the call again because I hope they were happy with what we were doing. And I'm really happy they called. And obviously getting to work with Sound Dogs is a is a treat and getting to work with Dash's tracks. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I got onto this one. Nice. And so for the benefit of our listeners then, so you're, you're credited as sound designer dash. That's right. That's correct. Yep. Uh, and Brett, you're re-recording mixer. Mm-hmm. So would you, you know, for our listeners, just like to outline what your roles involved and what the difference is? Sure. So for me, um, as a sound designer, it's specifically sort of working on the effect side of things. Um, Nelson Ferreira uh, was on the dialogue side of things, but he he was a sound supervisor as well. Um, but as a sound designer, uh, I take on the role of creating all of the subjective material in, in the movie. Everything from the sound design of, of horror and suspense to creatures and zombies 
and sort of everything in between. And then, you know, sort of doing this pass of the entire film once I'm sort of outside of the nitty gritty cutting and creating of all that and taking a step back and looking at the entire movie and going, okay, how can I create all of this connective tissue between these sort of extremely dynamic scenes so they don't feel disconnected from each other sonically? Um, So that was that's sort of what my role was specific to this film. And then my the natural handoff and why Dash and I worked together on this is I was the re-recording mixer. So I'm the guy who sits at the big console in the big room <laughs> and work. I work with everybody. You know, it's a very collaborative effort. But uh, so Andrew would have dialogue and music. I would have all the effects and sound design. And we're the ones, you know, that place it in the space and Atmos and balance together. You know, this is a big scene for music. So let the music go and he'll tuck the music down so we can let the effects breathe for this moment. And those are the decisions that Andrew and I kind of make. And, you know, when I say we make it, like I said, we're all working together and Dash is in the room the whole time. And, um, but yeah, that's so Dash kind of makes the sound. And then my job is to integrate them into the final product that you hear when you go watch the movie. Nice. And it's good that Dash can be there as well to stop you from just turning down too many sounds, right? Yeah, absolutely. He had, he had a ruler and he was just slapping my wrist the whole time. But. Well, actually, actually, I remember walking into the room, um, I think halfway during Brett's premix, because obviously all this happened during COVID. So there was a, a lot of protocol in place. Um, yeah. And he played me a few scenes and I was like, wow, dude, you took this to uh to sort of a whole nother level and it got me really excited and and i think that started started the spark between brett and i through the entire mix um of just trying things just taking taking the tracks i have and he would just you know throw throw it in different spaces or or you know really work whatever sound design I had uh, into the music, which, you know, is, is always, as you probably know, Sam, uh, it's, it's the, it's the struggle of where does sound design live against music and how can they both harmoniously um, fit into a movie without being uh, too mushy or distracting. Nice. So you managed to work out that balance together, but it sounds like you had a, a kind of unique creative approach to this one as well together. Yeah, for me, it was uh, more unique than most because usually as as mixers, we're kind of the last ones on, you know, we go in, we get time, which is called a premix, where we get to go through the editor's tracks by ourselves and kind of prep everything so that when the clients are in the room, we're just hopefully just doing kind of subjective big picture notes. Yeah. Um, but this was one that, you know, they sent rough cuts to us early uh, to both Andrew and I as mixers and Dash and I were communicating from day one about kind of track layouts and other technical things as well as kind of he was sending creative stuff to me not for feedback or anything but just so it could it could start to plant the seed in my head and get excited so when i get to a scene i know what's there i know what's coming up so my my premix i'm not hearing it for the first time so yeah that's something that we don't always have the luxury of that played a big part in how smooth the mix went and how we're all happy with it yeah nice and you mentioned it happened obviously during covid how long was the process from start to finish for you guys so i hopped on the project to do pre-design work maybe a month before our sort of official editorial started before we got a sort of official turnover of the entire film Hmm. um i was just um uh, started to sketch out some of the bigger scenes that uh, they needed help with in the Avid. Um, and I think the first big scene I cut was the truck scene. Um, oh, nice. So that was, yeah, that was about a month before 
Um, we officially started, and I can't. Brett, do you remember the month we ended in? July, August? Yeah, I think it was. We mixed in May, June. Took a hiatus for VFX and um, test screenings, and then we came back in July. Yeah. So for me, as a sound designer, it was probably March to end of July for me. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And what? How long did you say your part was again, Brett? Sorry. Um, we did, I got a couple of weeks to premix and then I think we did three weeks of final and then we took the hiatus and then, uh, another week afterwards, which this was one of the first times too, that the test screening went really well. Hmm. So we, uh, you know, we didn't, weren't, there weren't major changes. We had some changes and we did them, but everyone was very happy with the process. So I think we did another week. Was that right, Nash? One more week with Johannes? Yeah, that's right. And it was it was just like a final week, which was yeah. more or less a week for me to update visual effects for Brett to obviously mm-hmm. mix it all in, and then to take another you know few playthroughs of the film uh, with with some of the execs at Constantine and um, mm-hmm. and uh, Johannes. But it's nice because they got to live with it for like three weeks. It was pretty like pretty solid shape for a mix. Um, so when they came back, you know, there wasn't really anything new. It's like, oh, the VFX shifted timing. So we made some changes. There's a little more sparks here. Let's add some sparks. And, uh, it was just kind of that stuff. And then we rewrapped it. Yeah. Nice. It was great. It's always interesting too, because, um, Brett and I probably disconnected for the, uh, four weeks that there was a bit of a hiatus. (laughs) So we came back to the project like, oh yeah, like it's really good because you can see it. Um, again, almost as fresh as we could possibly see yeah. it, even though it's easy to fall back into, um, oh yeah, I know exactly how many layers go into that. I, I know this, I know, you know, but it's, it's, it, it's a kind of like a happy, um, uh, scheduling thing where we get mm-hmm. to take a break from it as well and come back and go, oh, okay, we have a little bit of time to reshape things um, that we we see could be better. And I mixed a like coming of age drama that took place mostly in the wilderness and very naturalistic movie. So coming back after doing that during the hiatus, it was like, it was a complete reset for my mind. So it was kind of nice. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit of a vacation from Resident Evil. <laughs> yeah. So it was like watching the film as a, as an audience member, for sure, on the first day back. And so it sounds like it was quite a smooth process then, and there was no, like, big requests or big changes? Um, No, there was. It was a really smooth process. It was really fun. I think that's what Brett and I, at the end of it, um, and I, I... I would say our entire team, including um, Andrew Tay and Nelson Ferreira, like we all just kind of had a lot of fun in the room. And a big part of that too was because Johannes would, Johannes the director would walk into the mix, watch a scene or a reel and go, um, okay, can you guys just go crazy with this. He'd say things like throw the kitchen sink at it and, (laughs) you know, take it, take it to whatever extreme you need to take it to. And I'll come back in the room, you know, four hours later and I'll watch it again. So in that sense, he, he really trusted us to a have fun with it and B do what we want with it to make it as interesting as possible. He was really um, headstrong in making it a sort of classic horror film as well. 
Um, there's a lot of John Carpenter references uh, coming from Johannes. And um, so, so we were on board with, with what he was going for. But what's great is he never sort of micromanaged those decisions with us. He, he'd walk in, watch a scene and go, okay, go crazier with this <laughs> um, or do something extreme with this. And I'll come back in three hours. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And so did he start off with any sort of philosophy or approach or brief for you guys before you had a load of fun? Uh, Yeah. So given that I started before everybody else, we did have a little bit of a meeting on the general soundscape of it. And he wanted... he. He would just text me or email me in the form of text that, you know, just words and ideas like disturbing and unsettling. And, you know, I I just want to feel this this deep sense of suspense and horror. And I love that at this point in my career. It's so much fun to not so much get the do it exactly this way. Painting that sort of general picture for me allows me to go in and have a lot of fun on my end, and I would just send the picture department stems and quick times to reference and versions of something, whether it's two or three versions of something subjective, and giving them options that just landed on these sort of unsettling, disturbing ideas. William, what have you been doing down here? God's work. Amazing. And like, I have to be honest, the first thing I thought when I was uh, listening to the film was you must have had a ton of fun working on this. It sounds like you had fun with it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And what was one of the most extreme decisions that you both made to kind of really throw the kitchen sink at it, shall we say, to quote Johannes? (laughs) Brett? There was a lot. (laughs) He really gave us the room to to just try it and you know he would leave the room and andrew myself we would turn around and dash and nelson would come close we kind of huddle up to be like what do we do what what should we try it was really collaborative in that way yeah i i would say brett and you you probably agree with this is like when you look at the amount of layers that we showed up with and then stripped back in a lot of scenes right like Mm -hmm. um you know even if it was just like let's just get rid of 90% of the ambiences here and let's just go with Foley and music. And, you know, even in the whole um, gunfight flash sequence, there was music all through that. And I think if I'm correct, that we ended up, Johannes ended up dropping the music for that just so we can be all effects for that entire scene with the lighter under the table and, you know, hearing zombies sort of walking around you and moaning and snapping and biting and things like that. So there were extremes where um, we were either completely dropping um, either sound effects in, in certain ways just to build the sense of suspense or playing things up, but um, sacrificing something else. And there was always this handoff scene to scene. Mm-hmm. Ah! 
nice. Yeah, so were you given any references from the video games or did you play the video games at all or check them out for any specific scenes? For example, you mentioned the truck scene, which is a massive nod uh, to Resident Evil 2. Um, were you given any specific scenes where you're like, okay, so this one's important for the fans because, or anything like that? I watched, uh, you know, I think Brett, Brett and I talked about this too, and I would I would share links with him and he sent me a couple back. What's awesome in the, in the world we live in, uh, all of that gameplay exists on YouTube. So um, if it didn't, I would honestly go out and get a console or borrow a console from a friend. Um, But yeah, I was able to watch that truck scene that they did in the um, 2019 version. Yeah. The remake. remake. Yeah. And it was so cool to kind of watch the game and then open up the picture on my end and go, wow, like, it's it's really cool to see all of that, uh, you know, uh, live action realized um, for the movie. Um, but I did. I referenced a lot of it. Um, I was trying uh, to also keep um, and honor the sound of, of the video game or, mm-hmm. or the style of video game sound where things are a little more exaggerated, a little more um, sort of a dynamic in parts. Like when the whole um, truck hitting the zombie thing, uh, I think Brett did a good job of just clearing out a ton of space to make that impact as big as possible. Um, and that's what it sounded like in the 2019 game of Resident Evil. Yeah. And and you know to add to that Johannes had this um uh note that he wanted to honor the sort of classic zombie moans from the original game um which I thought was pretty cool. So we ended up just on the sound the sound editorial side of things uh Nelson and myself and our assistant and a couple of people around our shop just just ended up recording a whole bunch of moans and, and groans, and <laughs> nice. I gave it to Brett, and he ended up sprinkling it uh, in places around the uh, the mansion. Oh man, that's awesome! And what about you, Brett? Did you play the games or anything beforehand? Yeah, so I did. I did something similar, like Dash said. We were kind of watching a lot of gameplay footage, and um, like Dash's work and job, he would present you know the truck scene that would sound amazing, or any of the scenes, and he created those sounds. So for me. The inspiration I was looking for was kind of tone. And what I ended up doing was, you know, like the sound of reverb, like you're in a big room so you can hear like the echoey space. I noticed in the game, because it's so dark that every time you go into a room, you can't really see anything past like five feet in front of you in the game. And that's part of the horror of the game. Yeah. You can tell the size of the room by the, the sound of the reverb on the feet. And the movie was kind of similar in the in the sense that it was really dark, like not overly dark. But for me, it was kind of pulling like little things like how the Foley sounded and the sense of space and all these other things. Because I felt like that's one of those subconscious things that people who love the games will hopefully tap into. And it's one of the few things you can really port from a video game because you have a video game that has zero dialogue. And then all of a sudden you have a movie that's full of dialogue and dialogue's always key. So it's like, what can I do while dialogue's happening that keeps the essence of the game. Um, so that's kind of what I tried to pull, which was a, a fun, fun challenge. Yeah, well, I can say as a fan, I definitely appreciated the Foley touches. <laughs> awesome. And we had a great Foley team, a Foley one in Toronto. Nice. Amazing yeah. work. Yeah, they're great. Pete, Pete Prasad and uh, Steve Bain, they're uh, they're awesome. Yeah. 
Awesome. So if you had to summarize your sound design philosophy or your audio approach to this movie, what would you describe oh, it as? That's such a good question. Um, I don't, honestly, Sam, I, I might have to think on that one if Brett has a, if Brett has a quicker answer. Mine on every movie. Um, I had an old kind of boss that he always got mad if you said anything was easy. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, if it's easy, then you should be trying something harder. Right. Okay. Uh, or, you know, so my philosophy is kind of, I think that's always stuck in me where, you know, kind of what we talked about where all these complicated decisions were being made to make the movie play. Like my kind of style, I guess, is that do whatever it takes to make it smooth and don't care how extreme it feels because people don't notice. It's like a magician where I'm going to distract you with my hand over here. And then the real magic happened in the other hand. Yeah. I find that's kind of my approach to audio. Like what's the audience going to pay attention to and where can I draw that? And while that's happening, how can, what extreme thing do I need to do to set up the next event or the next sonic thing we're working on? Um, So I think it's like, if you were to sit with me and watch or not just me, but I think any great mix is like this where it sounds very complicated and very extreme, but when you watch it, it doesn't sound that way at all. And I think that's an approach I always try to take is like, I don't, worry about the process so like you know getting rid of all of the rain and the alarms you know like the scene yeah. for example in resident evil where uh the itchy tasty scene there's points in that where the, like the alarms going off in all of raccoon city and it's big rainstorm and thunder there's no alarms or thunder or rain in that scene because but you probably you know maybe you did notice maybe you didn't but everything took away from the creepiness of that scene so it's like, that's a pretty bold move to remove like the alarm, which is a big story point and yeah. the, the rain and the thunder. Um, but I felt it was, you know, that's something that just made that scene so creepy to match the visuals and you focus on the right things. And Yeah, I have to admit, I was invested in that scene, so I didn't even kind of notice it to point it out. So. Yeah, and that's the point, like, that, you know, you have to have the work done so well in editorial. That's why Dash's work was amazing to be able to find these moments where you can get out of those things. But yeah, that's kind of my approach to every movie and every scene is like try to think like an audience member and doesn't matter how extreme it feels while I'm working on it. Like I have to remember that people are going to watch this linearly and we're telling a story and hopefully it's their first time watching it, which it's a different type of attention you pay. Yeah, it's hard to remember sometimes that, you know, not everyone else is an audio designer and going to notice everything. So you have to also see it from the audience perspective, even though you're not going to be the audience member. Yeah, like that. that's how I treat my premix, right? I get rid of the technical, fun, audio geek stuff. And then <laughs> when we're in the room with <laughs> clients, it's like whatever tells the best story at that point. I've yeah. taken care of the technical. And that's that's always the win too, right, Sam? It, it's the win when we make these extreme moves. And we, we know how much was either, um, you know, eliminated or minimized. And so we're paying attention to that, those, those extreme moves, regardless of, of um, uh, you know, 
how well a scene has turned out. So when we do these extreme things and an audience member goes, I didn't even notice that. It's great because that means we accomplish something really big uh, without being distracting. Yeah. And it's always the curse of knowledge, right? Because you know what you removed or what you added and you're sat there kind of going, hmm, Mm -hmm. I don't know. But then when you see someone respond to it, then you're like, yeah, yeah, we nailed it. Cool. Exactly. And any any great sound designer and Dash included um, aren't like, you know, and it's hard and I don't think I could do it as well as Dash and many others, but you work for so long creating the sound and then the, the note is, can we just mute that? <laughs> and it's like such a, you know, such a hard baby to kill sometimes, I'm sure. But, you know, Dash being super pro is always, if that's what's best for the movie, we can always unmute it if that was a bad decision. But um, so, yeah, the, the curse of knowledge, knowing how many things were super cool, but they ended up getting muted <laughs> because it didn't serve the scene to the intention of Johannes's vision. But yeah. But I was going to ask as well, Dash, like you must be kind of, I don't want to say used to it as if people kill your babies all the time, but you know what I mean? Like you don't get too precious after a while in sound design, right? Because you're kind of used to doing a lot of effort for some of it to maybe kind of go to the wayside. That's it. That's exactly it. And I think, um, you know, the more I work at this, at this career, the more I realize that it's important for me to have the Bretts who have a fresh palette to the sounds I have because- It's easy. It's really easy for me to get attached to the things I create. And obviously I want them to play because, and to, to actually answer the question that you asked not too long ago, Sam. Um, <laughs> we bought you enough time. Now, yeah, Dash. exactly. Um, <laughs> it, it is. It's a good segue because one of the things that I definitely try to do um, on any project, regardless of how big it is, is to give things a sonic signature, is to create as much as I can um, from from scratch, whether that's going out and recording, whether it's vehicle recording, um, all the way to creating things like, I mean, I use a bunch of synth stuff to create just a whole library of horror and suspense design um, for uh, for Resident Evil. Um, and then, you know, it's things like creating zombies and recording and and processing and, and creating libraries of, of creatures and all of this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I that's one of the things I really strive to do. Um, obviously, it's 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 a time thing for me. If, if you give me, you know, um, the amount of time that Resident Evil gave me I can go to I can go to town on something like that but you know other movies we have a month to get it done so I might only spend two or three days of that time creating as much as I can then I got to get to cutting because ultimately there's an end date yeah (laughs) so it is really important to have Brett uh, take these tracks and listen to them for the first time and start to make decisions that he feels work for the film and not so much the way I see it, because in the moment I see things as a scene or an event. Um, yeah. And I'm trying to make that scene or event as impactful as possible. Uh, what's great about Brett is he sees it, um, especially if he's able to have uh, dialogue and music running at the same time. Um, he's able to see it in a much broader perspective. Yeah, it's the big picture. Exactly. Yes. And literally big picture. When you have a, you know, when you have a a screen that's 60 feet across or whatever it is, it it does change your perception of the movie for sure. Yeah, I can imagine. And like with you being kind of the high level big picture guy, Brett, is it awkward or do you, 
how hard do you find it sometimes making those big decisions where you may be like, look, I'm sorry, Dash, this doesn't really work for this scene after I've seen it with everything else? Or do you get to make like some really big choices where you're like, sorry, I really feel like it's going to have to go? Um, usually it, it comes from, you know, my I never try and make that decision myself. I always try to work the track to where it doesn't have to go. Uh, but so usually when those decisions happen, it would come if, you know, Johannes is like, you know, something's not working. And if maybe he doesn't know what it is and that that's common that we have to kind of help them figure out what it is oh, that's yeah. not working for them. <laughs> um, but sometimes it's, you know, and then we'll have the conversation in the room like, OK, well, maybe we try it and we would do this. Like you just kind of quickly let me just mute all of my sounds and watch it with just the music. And like, is the music giving us the emotion we want? No, not really. Okay, then maybe we look at the music because the effects are working. And sometimes we just do stuff like that. But uh, it's all it, for this movie, it was always just a group decision for sure. But yeah, my, my goal as a mixer, I think because I do edit as well, not at the level of Dash, but um, I have a lot of respect for the work that they've done coming there. So I never mute stuff. You know, it's never like, ah, that's not working. <laughs> but, uh, there's clearly, there's an intention to that. So my job, what I'm hired to do is to, make that work in the context of the mix. And if it doesn't, then, you know, then we can cross that bridge as a team. Nice. But, uh, I try not, I try not to make those calls myself because it's not, you know, that's not what I'm there for, I guess, is right. how I look at it. Yeah, see, I, I for one agree with Dash. I'd love to have someone else be that objective about my sound design because once you spend so many, like, weeks or whatever, like knee deep in your own sound design, I think you really do need the ears from someone else to be like, hey, does this all work together now? Because I've heard it too yeah, many yeah. times. <laughs> and you spend so much time, you know, just on the sort of formative side of my career. Uh, when I started cutting, I fight for things early on that <laughs> I now realize, why were you even fighting for yeah. that? You know, but it's process, right? You have to go through that to realize it doesn't matter. And it's actually really good because somebody else can see things with a fresh palette, like I said, and start to make those choices uh, based on off the bigger picture, not just, you know, the sort of little gritty minutia of the things we cut. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know about you, Dash, but in, early in my career, I definitely had to learn to let things go, but also be like, just because it had to go doesn't mean it was bad. A hundred percent. That's exactly it. And that's it. You know, that there's that process too, of the sort of emotion of it all. You stop losing sleep over those, yeah. those decisions being made and you start to see them as um, positives, things that, that drive um, the bigger, the bigger picture. And you know, what's great is when you do these big projects or any project for that matter, that you put a lot of time into and, you know, yeah. a year later, you watch it again. You're not paying attention to all those. You probably forget, uh, you know, at least 60 to 70% of those decisions you made. And you can finally see it as a, uh, as a body of work. And it's really cool when I do that because uh, a lot of it does work for me. A lot of it, I, I go, oh, I remember fighting for that thing in this scene that got dropped, but it really does work well. So I'm glad I stayed out of the way. Vindication is always good. <laughs> oh, yes. A hundred percent. Still goes into the library. It still gets used. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's it. I still get to pat myself on the back. And just know every sound that's left is still a sound that Dash made. So it's still a win. <laughs> you still did everything. <laughs> um, and so... 
touching on that then, what would you say was the most challenging part of the project? Um, I think it was achieving what Johannes was reaching for. I think a lot of that lived in the mix. We all brought a lot of layers to the edit um, because, you know, at this point we know when on a feature film that has a, a a healthy mix budget, it means we're going back over scenes, you know, three or four times um, because we have the the opportunity to do that. And when you do that and yeah. you have that healthy amount of time, you want to mix it three or four different ways uh, until you land on a spot where you're like, okay, this is really working or this is really cohesive um, to the next scene or, or the, the project uh, from start to finish. So I think a lot of that was in the mix um, was just playing, was just playing and remixing and playing and dropping and adding back in and trying out a different version of something. And then it's surprising how often it happens, you know, well. sometimes going back to version <laughs> one, um, which is always the funniest thing to, to see mm. happen. Yeah, one of the things I found challenging because the whole movie is a challenge, like any type of type of movie like this, you know, it's going to be a lot of work. Um, yeah. But the the classic horror movie aspects that Johannes wanted and the really slow burn opening was a challenge I was not anticipating of how do we make this slow burn? Like most movies like this would start with some epic scene. I think most of the previous Resident Evils were like that. Um, oh, yeah. Where like they it's were like very different 10 minutes style. of action and even Monster Hunter, which we did, was the same. Like thirty, the first 30 minutes was nonstop. Um, but this was the opposite. And it's how do you, how do we, you know, get keep the attention and keep things interesting, but we're not working with these bombastic sounds. And that was a, and it was hard because that's we started with, you know, a real one at the top of the movie. And you're trying to set this language for this like horror video game movie with no horror. <laughs> and it was a. <laughs> so what was the it was, solution? It was, it was fun. That one, I feel like the opening is the one that we went over the most because we did, we did it. Then we got through the movie. Then you go back and watch like, yeah, we didn't do that. Right. Um, there wasn't really a solution. The music was like Mark Corvin's music's insane and awesome. So it was kind of Soundtrack leaning on his wacky elements. So leaning on his wacky stuff a lot. Um, you know, that's probably, there was a lot of stuff pulled out of the opening of Dash's work. And I think a lot of it, you know, I, what I like to do as a mixer too, is you get the director's note that's like, I don't want to hear any of that, but you know, well, I have 30 tracks of stuff. So maybe there's something I can keep. So mm. it was kind of going through and instead of just highlighting it all muting, like, what can I, what can I keep that gives us some stuff and moves the story forward? But, you know, does his note where it's not feeling busier than it is, but yeah, sort of like a subtle but keeping yeah. the intrigue. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know what the answer was for how how do we end up making that work? It's just we did it until Johannes was <laughs> <laughs> uh, lots of. Does this work now? Does this work? But because um, there's a lot of different spaces, you start in the orphanage and then you jump to the future in the truck yeah. and whatever. So there was a lot of different stuff, but none of it had that action like the rest of the movie. So it was fun. Yeah, I bet. And and on that side then, what was uh, what would you say is your proudest moment in the movie? There were so many, you know, little wins that added up to a big win where we all kind of watched it back at the end of a day and went, yeah, that's that really works. <laughs> that really landed. Um, I think the biggest win was sort of how much of what I created. And again, thanks to thanks to Brett uh, and Andrew Tay, um, how much of what I created lived in the mix. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, I really learned 
um, this is my first zombie film. Um, and uh, Nelson Ferreira, who's the dialogue editor, we did this sort of um, back and forth on the zombies where I had created sort of this um, extreme zombie pass, like very zombie-esque everything. And Nelson had went in with Loop Group and he had taken my tracks. Uh, I just printed everything creature and zombie out for him, anything humanoid. And he had uh, had the Loop Groupers reperform or just perform a a human version of it oh, that cool. worked underneath the performance of my stuff. Oh, amazing. And we talked about this and Nelson having gone through the process, you know, he did, uh, he used to work on the Romero films as well. So he has a lot of this ex- experience in the zombie world. Uh, so I took, I took that note from him and I, at first I didn't quite understand it. And he had explained it to me as sort of the Foley sound effects handoff. He goes, um, the way Foley and sound effects live together, that's how these two layers will live together. And even <laughs> as he was explaining it to me, I was like, okay, I guess I have to see how this is actually realized in a mix. And lo and behold, there were moments, you know, down down the timeline in the mix where Johannes would be like, that's too much creature for this. Is there any way we can just go to like human breathing for this part and then back to screaming for this part? And we had those layers. And because Nelson had edited and shot all of the loop group and performances against my edit, we uh, Brett was Brett and Tay were able to just go my fader down, Tay's fader up, and they kind of nice. worked harmoniously with each other. That's a good and, win. Uh, there was yeah. no re-editing, so that that was a big takeaway for me for this. Um, and a lot of the zombies are transitioning too, so that was a big thing. They don't go from like human to zombie. They, you know, the the town's deteriorating, so they. There is this element where there's still a human in there, but they're clearly messed up. So that that helped a lot with that. Mm. And the turnaround zombie was one of those big ones. Oh, uh, yeah. Where Dash had Dash had it super zombified and everyone loved it, um, except Johannes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when he's like, you know, another good example. He's like, I don't want to hear anything. But yeah. then we went to some more human elements. I think we kept in like two little zombies, like a sniff when he moves his nose and something else when he gets up, like a zombie grunt. Mm. Uh, but a perfect example of how those two layers together created that where I could just take away this part and it wasn't just a gaping hole. It was filled by the Nelson's loop group work. Nice. Hey, RPD. Hands, show me your hands. So, and from, from your perspective, did you have a, like a proudest moment or a big win where you listened to the mix and was like, oh, nice. I think, I think I had two and the, both scenes are kind of related and it was the underground parking dog scene. Oh yeah. And the itchy tasty. Cause I, you know, <laughs> I don't want to use the word easy, but a lot of you'll hear common, commonly said that like loud is easy. Mm. Um, but th- doing this kind of classic horror and those two scenes were quiet. And again, it was one of those, there was a lot that went into the mix, a lot of shaping, like, like, Oh, we want to do this. Okay. Can you give me like three hours? (laughs) Like it's not a, it wasn't, there weren't, it wasn't a quick thing to execute. Um, but I think they both scenes turned out really well in the sense of being, there's 
not engaging in a sonic assault way, but they something about it sucked you in. Yeah. And neither of them had tons of music to my from my memory. So it was kind of just like quiet scenes. sometimes the the quietest scenes can be the loudest if you know what i mean so i can definitely relate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think itchy tasty is a good example of that like like that that, yeah. that was the scene when i watched the rough cut that's the scene that stuck with me and my wife you know doesn't like horror um but she'll she'll sometimes watch things she wouldn't watch because i worked on it and like you know support me and as soon as I saw that scene, I was like, you're not going to watch this movie. <laughs> and that, that scene stuck with me. So I think maybe when I came to the mix, that was one that was like, yeah, I'm going to fight, make sure I got the extra time to do this the way that I've been wanting to since I saw that on a rough cut. Because a lot of it's practical. So yeah, it didn't change much from the rough cut, really. Nice. And I have to admit, like I watched it uh, before the interview, obviously, but now I'm going to go and watch it again with all the insights you've given me. And I will be listening to all these different scenes now in a different way, being like, oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so I'm very excited to watch it again, to hear it again. Um, nice. I really wish I could hear it in Atmos. I had a question for you, Sam, um, because Oof. you said you're a super fan. I'm just curious, how far does it go back for you? Oh, wow. All the way to the yeah. beginning. Um, yeah, I was a kid when I played Resident Evil 2 for the first mm-hmm. time. Um, and so, yeah, that just got me hooked. And, uh, yeah, since about, ooh, yeah, well, it must've been at least 98. So I was about 10, 11, yep. um, played nice. the second one first and then went back to the first one and then I've played the series ever since. So I have to ask the the elephant in the room in most uh, most interviews. How was it working on this throughout the COVID situation? Um, I would say it was less in person. It was a lot more uh, Zoom collaboration. Um, you know, I love to be in rooms with people, um, and we got we did get to do that a few times once. You know, testing ramped up. Um, and in the midst of, of the mix as well, everybody was getting their, I'm just remembering this now, everybody was getting their, um, their vaccines. So we were actually sort of turning into zombies for a day. Like each one of us would be sort of borderline laying on the floor. <laughs> um, Brett and Andrew Tay didn't have that luxury. If they, if they were uh, hurting from the vaccine, <laughs> they just had to, to suck it up. But certainly as editors, we, we get to. To, to sit on the, the comfy couch in the back for a little bit if we need to. 
<laughs> just to suck it up. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, it's an interesting time to work on a movie about a viral outbreak, huh? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I actually had my vaccine appointment was booked on day one of the mix, and I was so nervous. And I like, oh wow, because <laughs> um, you can't change your appointment, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I had zero symptoms from the like. Yeah, I didn't feel bad. A little bit of a sore arm, but nothing to write home about. And I was like, oh, thank God. This is too loud of a movie to like <laughs> yeah. be working in. Can yeah. you imagine? Like everything would have yeah. just felt 10 times louder Oof. than it already was. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I got lucky. I mean, I think it helped us on the mix that because Dash and everyone worked remotely with Johannes and were sending him stuff frequently, uh, that there weren't a lot of surprises. And then, you know, as far as the comfort level, Company 3 did an excellent job at maintaining all of the safety protocols and in the room there's really what six of us and we were so spread out because it's such a large mix room that like six foot Mm -hmm. it's like everyone's 20 feet away from each other really it's true um so you know it felt there was never a time where it didn't feel safe or anything it was great like it was a it was like nothing happened except when you turn around just you only see people's eyes that's the, the, the only difference <laughs> and that was really like uh you know in the fun of of such a cool mix it was just really annoying to have to wear masks for 12 hours a day but yeah. you know yeah. it could have been a lot worse we like i think from what i remember i was on a tv series that ran into the beginning of COVID where everything just became remote really fast and we were um being mm. sent um a prints like two track prints of a mix to make notes on. Um, and then, so, and it just became really annoying because just to be in a room with your mixers is, is so, um, so much more awesome, right? Mm-hmm. Like so much more collaborative. Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, it could have been worse. Like we, we could have just not been allowed in the room, but at least we got that. We got, we got to collaborate with our mixers, you know, firsthand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I can only imagine trying to mix all across Zoom. Oh no. <laughs> this would be the worst movie yeah. for it. There's some that it's, you know, I've done some that have been completely fine and it's been a great process doing it all remote, but this movie would have been so challenging that way. Yeah. yeah. It's, I suppose it's just too much going on all the time. Yeah. And sometimes it's an easy fix, but when you're doing it remotely, like in the room, it's like, okay, mute this. Does that feel better? No, it does this. But remotely, that's like 20 minutes of, okay, everyone mute. We're going to play back this. And like, <laughs> It's a, yeah. these, the easy things take a lot longer. I find on a, yeah, everything yeah. ends up taking 10 times as long. Yeah, usually. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So sadly I have to draw towards my final question. I would, I would chat to you guys all day, but I have a fun one to finish off with, but it can be a bit of a doozy. Mm-hmm. I ask all my guests this, if you could go back in time and give your past self a piece of advice, what would you say? Mine, it took me a long time. I've always been more of a movie fan than a music fan. But I think I grew up just playing an instrument. So I, and not knowing movies were a thing, but you know, uh, The Dark Knight was one of the first ones for me where like, I think I saw that five weekends in a row. Like, it's like, but I never, I'd never done that with Such a band a or an album. Um, but I always, I always loved movies and more, more specifically the experience of a theater. Um, yeah. And I, I guess I wish I got into it earlier because I'm, you know, got into it a little later than most. And luckily a lot of the skills I had worked hard at in music could transfer. And, you know, so although I started later, I wasn't starting at zero, but yeah, I guess that would be the only thing where I'm like, yeah, I wish I got into this right when I left school. <laughs> That's a cool answer though. I kind of relate to that one. 
I kind of started a bit, well, my journey was a bit longer as well. So like, I, I think I agree with you. Like if anything, I just wish I could have started on this mm-hmm. a bit sooner. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say, um, you know, early on in my career, I, I spent a lot of time just trying to be in mix rooms and be around editors and sit, which is great. You're supposed to, you know, absorb all of their knowledge, but I wish I, I just recorded a lot more of my own stuff from the beginning. I mean, I'm really into it now. And in the past, I'd say decade, I've, I've become very sort of headstrong on recording fresh stuff. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's a product too of, of the designers that I work around. We're all just sort of, we really motivate each other to, to get out and record, especially if we're on a, you know, um, I was working on Nightmare Alley a little bit early on and we had uh, we had gotten access to all of these awesome like 1940s uh, Packards and just these vintage vehicles that they had on set. And, you know, and we went out for three days, three full days out to um, out to set like a, a really quiet road just off the off maybe 10 minutes away from where they were shooting and we recorded all of these cars um and you know we've been doing that now for so long that i never leave an opportunity like that um on the table like i if 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 something is still shooting if we have access to anything i take it I go, okay, let's spend two or three days just recording as much as we can record. Um, so I, I, yeah, I, and it, it's something, you know, I tell a lot of young people as well, like the best way to train your ears is to record and listen to your own stuff and make what you record fit into a movie or film or a TV show um, or anything. It's it's how you, it's the best sort of um, uh, and and most efficient way to train yourself as a as a sound person. Yeah, definitely. Man, those were both great answers, I have to say. And it's been an absolute pleasure having you both on the show. I'd like to thank you both again for your time and talking to me about your careers and welcome to Raccoon City. I hope you've had as much fun as I have. Oh, I have. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. You're the best. Oh, thanks, guys. And I really want to thank everyone for listening. And, you know, thanks again to Dash and Brett. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you, yeah. Hi everyone, this is Sam. Thanks for listening to the Sound Architect podcast. And I really hope you enjoyed listening to that episode. If so, there are many ways you can show your support for the show, whether it be financially on our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash sounddesignuk, or whether you're just getting in touch on social media. We love to hear from our listeners. What's your favorite episode? Who would you like us to speak to? Just let us know. You can pretty much find us anywhere on the internet, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or anywhere else. And until then, catch you on the next episode.